In episode 437 with Kimberly Snyder, we talk about how to move past fear, how to embody love, how to create the life of your dreams, and so much more. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl, Open Wide, and Comparisonitis. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? Hello and welcome back, my beautiful friend. I am so excited about this episode. I have wanted to have Kimberly on the show for about 100 years, and she is finally here. And today we dive deep into how to unlock your true higher self. It is beautiful, it is powerful, and it is a very practical conversation for anyone wanting to be their true highest self. And for those of you that have never heard of Kimberly, she is a spiritual guide, meditation teacher, nutritionist, and holistic wellness expert. She is the author of three New York Times bestsellers and five previous books, including Radical Beauty, which she co-authored with none other than Deepak Chopra. And she also has a top-rated podcast called The Feel Good Podcast. She is also the founder of Saluna, a holistic lifestyle brand which offers wellness products like supplements and skincare, digital courses, practical enlightenment meditations, and the Saluna Circle. She has been featured in dozens of media outlets, including Good Morning America, The Today Show, and The Wall Street Journal. And she lives in Los Angeles and Hawaii with her husband and two sons. And for everything that we mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. That's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 437. And now without further ado, let's bring this beautiful goddess on the show. Let's bring on Kimberly Snyder. Beautiful Kimberly, I am so excited to have you on the show. I have wanted to have you on for so long. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? (laughs) So it's so great to be here with you, love. And I love that we have this technology that we can be in conversation. We can look into each other's eyes, even though we are across the world from each other. So I'm pretty consistent with my morning routine, my morning ritual, which is always this, it's almost like Groundhog Day. Like I just sort of get up, I know what to do. There's hot water with lemon. Then I take my two SBO probiotics, my Saluna probiotics. Then there's either made, this morning it was made, the glowing green smoothie, which is my signature green smoothie. It's just, it's part of my life. So I have that. And then I, you know, a little busyness, drop the older son off at kindergarten, blah, 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 put baby down, and then I meditate. And then after that, I go into my day. So by mid-morning, I eat a big wrap, which usually has hummus, avocado, tomato, or as you guys would say, tomato, (laughs) sprouts, like a gluten-free. The one I have right now is based in coconut. So it's sort of like that morning part, and then a little bit later, the wrap. Mm, yum. I had a feeling you were going to say the glowing green smoothie, which takes me back to when I first discovered you. So almost 10 years ago, I think it was your book. Literally. Yeah. Your book, The Beauty Detox Solution, which has sold a million copies, was one of the earliest books I picked up on my health and wellness journey. It was one of the first health books that I ever read. So thank you. And I remember reading it and going, beauty energy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. Why are we not taught this? Why has no one ever told us about beauty energy, which we can talk about in a moment. But I remember reading your book and feeling like I was sitting with a sister, hearing your Aww. wisdom. And <laughs> and I've since followed you since then. So like 10 or 11 years ago. And, yeah. and since then, you have had six more books come out. But can you tell us, how did you get into this work? How did this all unfold for you? 
<laughs> Thank you. It's so interesting that you say that the work has unfolded now in the beginning. My first two books were really food focused. And I'll tell you a really funny story about that in just a moment. But now really my focus is this lifestyle. So it's our four pillars, four cornerstones, we call them of true beauty and wellness. So it's food, body, emotional well-being, and spiritual growth. So I think for a lot of us, our wellness journey starts with food, but food is energy just like everything else. So it's certainly not the end-all be-all. But if you're like me and you had a lot of issues, a lot of bloat, a lot of confusion about what to eat, I had a lot of acne, just a lot of discomfort in my body, we really do want to start with food or we need to address food until we can go into these deeper parts of ourself, until we can go into deeper healing. So that's one of the reasons, or that is the reason that all the great yoga masters always talk about food when they're talking about the practices, because food, again, isn't the end goal, just like yoga asanas and poses aren't the end goal. The end goal is union, which is what yoga means, divine union, union with the true self, which is what this book is focused on. But in the beginning and along the way as well, we want to make sure that we're nourishing ourselves in all the ways so that we can continue to go deeper and deeper. So the funny story I wanted to share quickly, Melissa, was that when I started out, to answer your question, I was confused. I think like most of us, I didn't know what I really wanted to do with my life. I went into college with a partial science scholarship. So I thought, oh, maybe I'll be a doctor. And then I interned in a hospital one summer and that didn't really feel good to me, so to speak. So then it was like, oh, not this, something else. And then again, I still just didn't know exactly, but I did know I was uncomfortable. I did know I had all these like just not health issues like diseases, but more this, again, just chronic blow, discomfort in my body. And then also mentally and emotionally, I was riddled with anxiety and insomnia. I was up at night, just it didn't feel good. So I was a seeker and I didn't know this term until, and I use this term in the book, I was a seeker. And so I, I started out and I thought I might backpack for just a few weeks, but then I ended up on the road for over three years and 50 countries. I just kept going and going. I was doing it really inexpensively. And so this period of my life, Melissa, this is where all, you know, a lot the basis of my philosophy came from. This is where I completely changed my perspective of health and beauty and wellness and so on. But the country that had the biggest impact on me was India. And the first time I went, I was there for three months and then I circled around again and then I was there for a couple more months. And so long story short, we'll get into that, which is what this book is. Oof, it just blew me away. And I started to really apply these teachings that I was learning about then, which is, you know, um, mainly from the work of Paramahansa Yogananda. I don't know if you know him, but he's the one that brought yoga to the West. So he, it's about working with, you know, oneness and un, the, what he calls the underlying energy matrix. And I'd never heard of any of this stuff. It's not about religion. It's not about, you know, dogma. It's just really working with energy. And you can see the impact of that in the Beauty Detox Solution. And the way I was writing about food was really impacted by that. But anyways, the funny story is I get back to New York City, which is where my family's from. And I'm laughing because I was like, oh, here I am again. And I still don't know what I want to do. But I was really passionate, Melissa, about sharing. And so much had happened on the road. So I started a free blog. And I was going back to nutrition school and I was teaching yoga asanas. And I was doing these teachings. And I started to notice these patterns emerging in my life. All I can explain is this, these patterns. It was like I was getting into this flow. So to this day, I still don't own a TV. So I wasn't trying to get into this world at all. All I did was start this blog. I started writing from my heart and I started telling my yoga students about the blog and it started to spread organically through New York City. And then everything just started to happen. My first celebrity found me. I got on a film set. I started meeting other actors. The next five years of my life were swept up in working with a-listers, helping them feel their best. But from the beginning, Melissa, it was never really about the food. You know, so that's why I think the term, you know, and the, the, the studios would bill me as nutritionist, but it was, I would say it was maybe 15%. It was really all these cornerstones and really being able to sit and allow people to get to know the true self and to help be there and hold space for them and all these different practices. So anyways, I started getting on national TV and all this stuff was happening. And then the first book deal came. So this is exactly, as you said, 10 years ago to this year. And it was Harper Collins. My first editor was Sarah. And she said, oh, oh, so I had a manuscript called Catching the Fire. I'd written five chapters and it was a travel memoir with a lot of the teachings here in this new book. And she looked at the site and she said, wow. She's like, well, the food and the recipe stuff is taking off. So why don't we do a food book first? And then the second book will be this book. 
So the first book was the BD Detox Solution, like you said, which just grew and grew and grew. So of course, the second book, they wanted to be a food book. But the third book, I started coming back in. So it was Beauty Detox Powers about chakras. Fourth book I wrote with Deepak Chopra, which was about Ayurveda and spirituality. Fifth book was a hybrid of mind-body. This book, though, (laughs) this is the full playbook. This is everything. The timing was not right for me to write it 10 years ago. But now I'm a lot grittier, more raw been through a lot in the past 10 years. And so now I'm at a point where I just really want to share what I know will help people the most. So to the long answer to your question, this was originated as the first book, but here we are six books later, and this is the time that it's chosen to birth into the world. Well, there's no mistakes, right? Everything happens in divine time. And now we need this book. You are more than you think you are, which is the title of the book, which I absolutely love. And I just love how the universe works. I think it's so fascinating that it's come out right now. So tell us what is You Are More Than You Think You Are all about? So the full title is You Are More Than You Think You Are, Practical Enlightenment for Everyday Life. So the first part is, well, what do we think we are, right? And this is the big game changer is that for me, I didn't know that there was these duality inside of us. There's this part of us that we think is who we are. And it's really the ego, the pseudo soul, the false self. And what it is, is this, you know, this outer shell of what we look like and what we're out doing in the world. You know, it's what Wayne Dyer calls the less than 2% of who we are. So the ego is the part of us that can be perceived by the five senses. So the peripheral nervous system, everything out here. Again, what we look like, what we're seeing in the world. And so this is the part of us where fear lives. This is where comparison lives. This is where not enoughness lives. We're out here identifying and over-identifying with the ego. So the reason that people struggle so much, I think, with feeling good, which is the name of my podcast, Feel Good Podcast, they struggle with all these things, like I said, not going for their dreams, running up into a lot of blocks, a lot of resistance, not feeling confident, not feeling beautiful, not having energy. All of this is because we attach our primal fear. It's like the sense of identity is always here. So what do we try to do? We try to shine the outside out more and more, right? Maybe it's working out more, losing more weight, getting more makeup, making more money, but like the solution is not where the problem is. So the more we identify with the ego, the more we continue to struggle and we just start to feel like, oh my gosh, everything is so hard. So what's really powerful is that we can in turn switch to identifying with this deeper part of us, which is called the true self in yoga. And the true self is this formless energy. It is the stable part of us. It's the courageous part of us. It's the infinitely creative and intelligent and courageous, all these things, all of that is the true self. So in spiritual terms, we can say this is spirit individualized inside of us or God or the universe. In quantum physics, we can say it's the unique gravitational field that runs through our cells and around our physical body. So it's something that can't be quantified by numbers, but we all know that there is this part of us that looks out and watches our thoughts. So we know it's this deeper part of us. And this is the voice of the heart. This is the voice of our intuition. So what this book is about is really the tools and the techniques and the practices, which are very specific about how day-to-day we switch from identifying with the ego to really living life from the true self. And the reason we do this is because the benefits are everything. When we we tune into this part of us, we actually create our best stuff in the world. We feel our best. We have joy, peace, bliss, all of this love. It starts to burble up from inside of us and it comes out and we transform our lives from the inside out. So the next part is practical practical enlightenment for everyday life. It was important to me that this book was very practical. So I love Eckhart Tolle. I love, you know, these spiritual teachers that give philosophy, but then it's like, well, what do I do with this? How do I really go beyond thought in my daily life? So the book is very prescriptive. It's very specific what we do. And the practices aren't like three hours long. Even if you meditate in this way for five to seven minutes in the morning or all these practices for coming back into center, you really do change your life. And then this word enlightenment means freedom, more awakening, more awareness. We don't realize the little cages we put ourselves in with the wounds and the triggers and the 
reactions and the limitations. So when we live in a, you know, get on the path, we don't have to be fully enlightened, but we get on the path for enlightenment, our whole lives, our whole daily lives open up. Mm, Absolutely. So that egoic voice that you're talking about, I call that the inner mean girl. And that's that voice that says, you're not good enough and you can't do this. And it's that very negative voice inside our heads. And then I refer to your true self as love. So I love that this book covers this because I think now more than ever, we need the tools and we need the techniques, the tips and the tricks to help us step out of fear, out of negativity. And I know you share so many different practices in the book, but what's one of your favorites? Like what's one that you come back to day after day that helps you step out of fear or negativity? What's one that you love the most and that you keep using? So it's interesting you say fear. Fear is a really important topic to bring up. Uh, Paramahansa Yogananda, who again, his teachings are woven throughout the book. So the the book is basically taking these ancient teachings and um, I went through thousands and thousands of pages of text, you know, the, the Vedas, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, Rumi, the New Testament of the Bible. So it's really distilling down these teachings. And then I weave in stories and also supportive science. So you can see that, oh my gosh, this really starts to line up and where it intersects so much power. And the science is there for the discerning mind, but the, the teachings are the teachings. So Paramahansa Yogananda says that there are 26 soul qualities that a human must develop in order to reach their fullest potential. And the first one is fearlessness. So if you're not getting past fear, if we don't have the tools to move past fear, then we're not really getting on the path in the first place. We're just going to be blocked. It is the biggest block. So the way the book is set up, by the way, the first three sections. So section one is getting past the biggest blocks, including fear. Section two is embodying, learning to embody and step into more of the qualities of the true self. So peace, intuition, magnetism. And then the third part, once you get that down, then you're ready to create. So the longest chapter in the book is called You Are a Creator. And it's how we take our unique energy and our unique gifts, which again are not necessarily quantifiable, but then we, through these exercises and practices, we learn to extract them out and then channel them into form in the physical world. So, you know, best products, best ideas, best content, whatever it is, best, you know, relationships. But we need to do the first two steps before we start to create. And then abundance is part of part three. So fearlessness, I, you know, let's start there. We all feel fear, I think. We dip in and out through our lives. And when we are in fear, we know that we are identifying with this small, limited part of us. We know that we are in ego. So there's, you know, many different practices that I offer there. I'll say that a few right here. The first thing is that fear can't live here in this exact moment. So, so much of the fear that we feel on a daily basis comes from past trauma. So we get scared. We want to push away. We don't want to feel these feelings again in the future. So we control, we manipulate, we disengage, we hide, We know, all the ways in which fear takes over our life. So, but again, it's not here in this very moment. So when you start to feel the fear coming in, the things you want to do is you want to straight away go to feeling the bottoms of your feet and your hips on your seat. If you're sitting down, you start to just really feel your body in this moment right here, right now. Then I put one hand on my heart, one hand on my belly, and I just close my eyes. It just be a simple reset. So I'm feeling my feet and then I'm feeling my heartbeat. I start to tune into it. So it's like the breath. The heartbeat starts to slow down and regulate when we give it some attention and love. And then we feel our belly. Ideally, the breath should be coming down into the belly and the belly rises. But if it's not, we're doing that shallow chest breathing. So we check in with the body. The bo- in the body, stories don't live. There isn't this mind chatter. So we just take a couple of deep breaths. We feel the heartbeat and we start to reset in that moment. We want to pull ourselves out of the fear loop, which again is past, future, and come back to this moment. And the second thing is when it comes to fear, all the ways in which it keeps us small. We think about the ways that we try to control things and manipulate and avoid. And, you know, I have friends and clients that get into these patterns in relationships, for instance, where they pick the same kind of guy and then they say want, they want something else, but that's not what's manifesting in their life. So we look and like underneath that is the fear of getting close to somebody, of really having this person because otherwise, you know, maybe we, we fear that we're not lovable 
or we fear that we're not good enough or all of that. But there's infinite ways that fear manifests. So instead of trying to control the outside world, the most powerful thing that we do is build our connection to this inner sanctuary, to the true self, which allows us to rise up in each moment whatever life brings. So we have this stable place and we're able to come in and deal with any moment and take righteous action, you know, the path forward from our discernment and from our wisdom. But the only way that we connect to this resource inside of us, it's not, you know, a biohacking tool. It's not a button that we can turn on. The only way that we connect is that we balance our attention out here in the external world, all the doing, all the running around, all the looking out with the physical eyes, we balance that with connecting to the inner energy. And so that's why a fundamental part of the morning practice that I shared with you is the morning meditation. The meditations I put out, the practical enlightenment meditations are only you know seven minutes or so. You, I always say sit longer if you can, but it's so important. It's so key that even going into the day before all the fear comes in, we connect to this real stable place. And effective meditation isn't just relaxation. It's not just, you know, here I'm relaxing the five senses, but back to that divine union. It's about going in and connecting to the true self. So in the book, there's um, a preliminary chapter called Expanding the Gaps, which we can do, Melissa, in a moment if you'd like to do that quick exercise. And then there's three subsequent meditation chapters, which again are based on these ancient practices and teachings, which go very deep into this connection. So with fear, we want to strengthen that inner muscle, that inner resource, so we can arise to each moment. And then the third thing I'll say, and I go into a lot of detail in, in, into this in the book, is that we need to bring our fears out of the shadows so that we're able to actually process them and work with them. If something's in the shadow, it's hidden away. We push it down. Maybe we have cookies when we don't feel good or we turn on YouTube or Netflix or whatever it is, but we need to really feel feel the fear in the first place, and then it starts to not have as much power over us. So in the book, there's an exercise where you go through your list of what you're fearful of, which can be somewhat easy to rattle off, but then underneath that is usually the fear of what we are scared of feeling. So we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper, and that's where the real healing comes. So a lot of times, like I said, Melissa, we think we're scared of one thing, but then we don't realize it's actually something else. So for me, what I've learned through these practices is paying attention to our triggers and our patterns. For me, I used to get really upset if someone would interrupt me or let's say they didn't agree with me, right? So I give this whole long thing at the end. They're like, nah, don't think so. And of course, there's this normal level of disappointment, but it was like this, like stabbing in my heart. And I was like, what is that? So I started to really look and sit and hold space for myself into what was underneath what is the fear underneath? And what I found was it was this deep, like anytime anyone would interrupt or not agree, it really touched on this painful wound, this big trigger I had that, hey, you know, I'm not worthy of being seen and heard. And this was, you know, a root of something that, you know, things that happened in my childhood, none of us have perfect childhoods, every parent's doing their best. But of course, we pick up limited beliefs. So it was this fear that I wasn't good enough to be seen and heard. And underneath that was the fear that I wasn't lovable. So once that came out of the shadows, which was so different than what I thought it was, I was able to say, oh, and then work with that energy and then really work with self-love in a very deep way and give that to myself and heal. So we need to understand our fears in order to really process them. Absolutely. And even just voicing them is the biggest thing I feel sometimes, you know, just voicing it or getting it out on paper is such a big part of the process. And I find for me personally, once I've voiced something, the power that I've given it just halves automatically. So it's really important that we get this out. And I like to look at any triggers, anytime I'm triggered by someone else. I like to kind of put a detective hat on and go, hmm, that's interesting and go digging like, where, where did that come from? Or why did that, what did that bring up in me? How do I feel in my body? And kind of go digging a little bit. And what you'll find is, you know, like you found this deep rooted something that happened to you. And, and it's so freeing when we can get to that root cause and we go, oh, that's actually, I'm not triggered in this moment. It's from the past and I can choose to let that go now. So. I love, I love putting on my detective hat and go investigate why I got triggered. Yes. Like I said, it's easy to project out and to say, oh, I just don't like that person. She's annoying or whatever it is. But 
there is a reason that something triggers us. There is some kind of stuck, unprocessed energy. And what's really interesting is that, you know, I started out with this, you know, the first two books, like we focus this focus on food. And so much of it from the beginning, when I started to do this work, like I said, I just started to really see things in terms of energy. And so from the beginning, my food philosophy was never about numbers. It was never about counting calories or working out to burn a certain amount or whatever. It was really about energy and digestion because digestion is assimilation and then letting go essentially. And so what I realized is that we really have to metabolize and digest our emotions and feelings in a similar way to food. And so what this means is when triggers happen, it means that something happened that was not processed and it stays, it remains in your body. So there's another practice in the book where we go, we actually lean into that and you get out of the head, which can justify and it can back up your stories and validate you and all these things. Instead, we go into the body, which is a much more pure place where stories don't live. And it's in this place that we start to feel where the fear is or where the trigger is in our body and we breathe into it. And Dr. David Hawkins, this amazing psychologist whose work I also um, reference in this book, he says, if we really do this practice, the intensity lasts 10 minutes or less. And what we're doing is it's like when we do a cleanse (laughs) physically, when we do this emotionally, we're getting down, down, down. So a trigger that may have bothered you so much, you do this practice when it comes up, you sit, you breathe through it, you feel it, and then you let it go. And then it may come up and up again, but But, and here's the exciting part, it's like getting to the bottom of the well. So if you're really doing this, if you're really fully present in that energy, you do start to metabolize some of this older stuff and it doesn't start to, you know, it stops bothering you in the future. You actually can dissolve trauma. Then you pair that, of course, with other techniques and other practices. And of course, some of us need to talk to professional help you know, depending on the type of trauma. But there's so much that we can do in not shying away from energy, not shying away from feelings that we don't want to feel, but instead just letting it really move through us and run through us. Absolutely. And like you said, it doesn't last that long. No, it's just like a biochemical response if we really lean into it without all the stories, without all the narrative. And then it just, you know, energy is meant to come and go. It's when it gets stuck that it starts to, you know, in a physical sense, create bloating right? There's so much research now about our emotions. We think mind-body connection, it's not really a connection because the connection implies two separate things that are fused at different juncture points. Instead, it's the mind-body oneness, right? Loophole, everything is just in oneness. Everything is like this complete affecting going back and forth. And so when we are experiencing all these things, it's, you know, it's stuck energy. So we just want to allow it to, to flow again and to be yeah, just to come and go. And we don't have to hold on to anything at all. Absolutely. That is the goal. And in your book, you actually talk a lot about comparison. And I wrote, my latest book is called Comparisonitis, How to Stop Comparing Yourself to Others and Be Genuinely Happy. And I talk a lot about quitting comparing yourself to others, especially on social media. We are on social media now more than ever. And you talk about comparison. And it's very easy for people to look at you on social media and make assumptions, beautiful inside and out, happy, growing her own vegetables, doing yoga headstands, a beautiful family, two healthy, happy, thriving kids living in LA, so successful. It's very easy for them to make assumptions about you. Can you talk about comparison? How do you overcome it? So again, comparison, anytime that we're feeling that oof, that stickiness, that constricted feeling of comparing, which often leads to contrasting. Here's the difference to competition or to feeling either more than or less than, which is still this, you know, disempowering sliding scale of worth. So anytime that we get into that mode, it is important that we shift and we realize that we are an ego. So First of all, another quick practice, moment to moment. This is something I do all the time. Again, back to getting out of the head and getting into the body. So the head can be like, oh my gosh, like you said, running through the facts and look at this and blah, blah, blah. And oh, yeah, wait a minute. Didn't she start her job a couple of years after me? She's so much more ahead in her field or she got this promotion. I didn't, whatever it is. So we, you know, is feel, get out of the head, feel in your heart. 
and there's research, incredible research from the Heart Math Institute now really uh, measuring this radiance, this energy that comes from the heart. And what we say is, am I in the true self or am I in the ego? And if we're in the true self, we're going to feel expansive, just like the universe is always expanding. This is our true nature to be in this formless energy, this infinite potential, and also, you know, again, spirit inside of us rising up. So it's going to feel blissful. It's going to feel big. It's just going to feel calm. It's going to feel stable. But if we're an ego, we're going to feel the attributes of egos. So we're going to feel smaller and constricted and tight. And if you're feeling that, if you're comparing yourself, you're going to be feeling that. And it's just an important marker. It's an important check-in. And if we do that, then we go, we shift into one of the practices. And there's quite a few that I offer for getting past comparison specifically that you can do in 90 seconds or less. But what I will say at the root of comparison, again, you're an ego, go to the true self. And there's a chapter in the book called You Are Confidence. So it's like, well, if I am really confident, I don't need to compare. But what is confidence? right? So I talk about the difference between surface confidence and true confidence. Surface confidence is of the ego. Surface confidence is built on, oh, look at me. Look at what I look like in my pictures today. Look pretty good. But what happens if you have a bad hair day? Or what happens if you gain five pounds? Or you, you know, 10 years later, you age or whatever, and you look different, then your confidence is going to tank. Or what if confidence comes from, hey, look at my achievements. I'm an entrepreneur, tech person, my stock's here. Well, what if another company comes and your stock plummets? Where does your confidence go, right? Or if it's based on money, resources, all these things which are always moving around us. Anytime we're basing our confidence on anything that we can see or hold or feel, then it's, it is of surface confidence. And it doesn't mean that we don't want to look good. It doesn't mean that we've, we've, we, you know, we pass by the mirror like, oh, I really like my outfit today. It's okay to feel good with these things. But we, again, we don't want to put our full identification. We don't want to put our full worth of confidence in these things. So where does confidence come from? So in the very, very purest sense, it's like, peeling away the layers of an onion. In the book, I write this passage where when Moses asked the Almighty, you know, what, what is this? What, what are you? It's this very simple one sentence response. I am that I am. So I am that I am. In the purest sense, this is where our confidence comes from. I am a living, unique, completely unique, living, breathing creation, right? I am the soul. I am me. I am here. And so I am just alive, looking around, enjoying life, breathing, confident because I'm here and I'm learning and I'm growing and I'm evolving along with everyone else. So it's something that no one else can take away. And it's something that no one else can compare. You're, you, know, you can't compare that energy, that you completely uniqueness. So again, if this, if you're listening to this and you're like, oh, well, that sounds nice. But that's very different from where I get confident from. I will say that I am a recovering perfectionist. And I used to base all my confidence on externals, what I look like, how much I weigh, how many New York Times bestsellers I could get, um, you know, everything, grades. I was like that person in school that always wanted to be number one in the class. But then over time, you realize those things are fickle. They come and they go. And four years ago, Melissa, I went through my, you know, my rock bottom place that I share in the book. And it was after that, that I really, really deepened and leaned into these teachings even more. And so there's just so much peace. I'm so excited to share this book from my heart because, man, I see so much suffering out there and I see so much more comparison and so much more just confusion. And when we do this, when we dial everything back, we realize, oh, it's in me. I can really feel good for being myself. I can feel confident for being me. And that's where the power comes from. Mm, absolutely. And I truly believe that we're here at this time in this earth suit to play big, to create the life of our dreams, to live big, beautiful, colorful lives. And you talk about creating in your life and manifesting. How do we manifest? How did you manifest the life that you have right now? And how do we do it? Like, what is something that... Oh, here it is. Here's the whole book. <laughs> Read the book. Yeah. I mean, it, it really is, like I said, it's broken down into these three parts where you have to get past the fear and the blocks. And then you go into going deeper and embodying that. And then after that, you're able to create. But the issue is that when people don't do those steps, 
So a lot of people experience frustration, stress, you know, trying to grow this thing. It's just not happening. No one's, you know, no one's on my site. My content isn't growing, you know, whatever it is. It's because we haven't done, you know, we may say we want a certain thing and we can say that verbally, but the frequency, the energy that we're putting out in the world may be really full of lack and we're just pushing things away. And so really, we have to go through those steps. So many people try to create from the outside in. They think, oh, look at this, it's trending right now, or here's some ideas, or this is what I think the book could be about if I'm writing a book or my company, because this is out here. So then we try to push out here into in here, and that's never where the best stuff comes from. That's never where we really manifest awesomeness. It has to come literally from this deep inner place inside of you, how you can manifest your gifts into specific form and bring them out into the world. And so again, not to sound vague, but there's just so much detail in the book. And like I'll say again, chapter 19, which is you are a creator is very specific about this. And also when it comes to abundance, I think, you know, so many people struggle with this lack of, you know, you name it, love relationships, financial abundance, opportunities, friendships, whatever it is. And so there's this real gap between what we want and what we say we want. And there's like this divide in between. So instead, instead of focusing on what's coming in or what's not coming in, we want to rise up to each moment with fullness because that's what abundance is. It's how am I showing up with my energy? And so each moment can be treated with this absolute fullness. Nothing is missing. I'm here. I'm radiating love. I'm in compassion and bliss and acceptance. I'm looking into this person's eyes that I'm talking to. I'm not, oh, should I be here? I'm not in worry, which is all lack. It's just really this fullness moment to moment. It's this repeated vibration from inside of us that starts to create outer form and starts to lead to real, again, abundance in tangible ways. But it really has to come from, again, all of this is really transforming our life from the inside out. And so it does work. You know, I can say from my own life and I look back when I was, you know, I got back and I was broke. I used to walk around New York City and I would buy three oranges for a dollar for lunch sometimes because I read this study that oranges keep you fullest the longest. It was like, I didn't have any backup plan. You know, I didn't come from like a rich family or anything. So when I got back, I was like, man, I got to figure stuff out. But then these teachings were allowing me, these techniques were really allowing me to work again with energy, which is real power and taking all this energy from out here that's always looking out peripheral nervous system and concentrating it into the spine and into the brain. And again, there's so much science about focusing on your third eye and activating the medulla oblongata and this this ganglion of nerves, which really does light up different parts of your brain. So there is science to this as well. But when you do these practices and you start to live in this different way from the inside, the outer world must change, right? So that's just, you know, how things work. It's how quantum physics works. It's how energy works. So if you want to really change your life, if your life is not where you want it to be, then we go in that order. We remove the biggest blocks. And then we go into deeper embodiments and then we go into creating from the inside out. Mm, I love that. What was the last thing or the most recent thing that you created or manifested in your life? Well, I feel like I'm creating every day, you know, like it's, it's a really beautiful time right now, really exciting, a really passionate time where I get to put out this book that, you know, it's definitely was channeled, Melissa. You know, this one came down when I was 34 weeks pregnant with my second son. And it was a time when I was trying to slow down, but it was just like this clear download of exactly what it wanted to be. So it doesn't feel like my book. It just feels like it came through me and it's this different energy field. And I feel like I'm in service to the book. But when it came down, I was like, what do I do? So I reached out to Deepak, who's a, you know, really close confidant of mine. And I was like, what do I do? <laughs> It was my idea. And he said, oh, he's like, this book belongs with Hay House, you know, a different publisher than the one. Um, so I stayed with Random House since Deepak and I wrote a book together. So it was a different publisher. He's like, oh, this belongs here. So they connected me with the president, Reed Tracy. And he was like, well, what's your book about, Kimberly? And I told him. And then I started writing it. Oh, so anyway, so I told him I presented it over Zoom. And then I wrote a sample chapter. And I signed my book deal three days before Moses was born. My son's name is Moses. And then 60 days after he was born, I did start writing. 
So I'll say that it feels like this flow, right? So from the beginning, when I started doing these, these practices 10 years ago, there's just been this, this flow where I feel like living this way gets deeper and deeper. We also have a farm in Hawaii, which we've been able to manifest. That's another incredible story. Just very first property we saw online. We were flew out there five days later, fell in love with it. We're in escrow and closed 35 days later. We only looked at a few places, but it was just, it felt so right. So I was in Hawaii over the break for about three weeks. And I had some really deep spiritual experiences where I was in the forest on our land. And I, I really felt like this rebirth, my heart cracked open and then just grew bigger. So I think as we do these, this work, our capacity to feel love, it gets deeper and deeper. It's experiential. So I feel like I'm manifesting more love. You know, this book, it's incredible. It's all the things, my beautiful children, our home, our life together here. You know, I feel like I'm creating amazing conversations all the time, creating amazing friendships. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are, we literally are creators. Whether we acknowledge that or not, moment to moment, we're creating this experience. So pretty awesome. Absolutely. What's your definition of success and what do you attribute your success to? So true success to me is living life from the true self more and more. True success is marked by inner peace. It means we are at peace with ourselves, with life, with where we are, where where other people are, and we show up from this expansive place of the true self. So I've worked with many people. And I've worked with some of the people in the world that have the most money, that are considered the most <laughs> beautiful or handsome, you know, the biggest billionaire, everything you can imagine. And you realize, oh, that's not it. That's, does, that doesn't give us what we think it's going to give us. Then we're still chasing, then we're still, you know, going and going because that's, again, that's all external. So true self, this inner connection, this unshakable resource inside of us. This gives us the peace, the bliss, everything that we're looking for and the love. And so to me, that's what true success is. Mm, that's beautiful. What are you working on within yourself at the moment? Is there anything in particular that you are wanting to home at the moment? So as I mentioned, I feel like for me now, it's you know very simple. The goal is to just blossom more and more in the true self. And in the love chapter, which is really interesting speaking about that, I think it's really powerful when we start to look at these like everyday parts of our lives and the ways in which we we put ego even on love, right? So there's a story I, I talk about in the book. Yogananda tells a story in India. In the Himalayas, there's a kind of a deer called the Himalayan musk deer. And this deer secretes, there's a sac in its abdomen, and every spring it secretes a kind of a musk. And so it's very energizing. It's very stimulating. So it starts to look everywhere for the musk. It's looking under the rocks and around the trees and it's starting to just run around. And what happens is it can't find the source. So this is a true story. It's sad, but sometimes it gets so agitated by not being able to find the musk that it leaps over the cliffs and tumbles to its death. And so I feel like for many of us, this is how we go about looking for love. It's something outside of us in the terms of another relationship or someone validating us, agreeing with us, liking us on social media, all these things outside. But the truth is that we don't get love from anybody. It's that certain people and situations can cause us to light up the love that's inside of us. So really, again, it goes back to really connecting to this energy inside of us, and specifically with love. Instead of treating love as a noun, which is what a lot of us do, we activate love as an energy through our lives. So if we're looking for more love, if we're looking for that person, if we're looking just for more love in general, we activate love as a verb. What does this mean? It means we show up more kindness. In the morning, first thing we do, we, we give an act of love. So you text someone and tell them that you love them, or you give a big snuggle to your pet more gratitude. First people you see, the person who makes your coffee, give them lots of love. And so what happens is over time, you start to change um, the frequency inside of you. So just by your presence, people can sense that you are the source, not someone that's in lack and desperation and trying to get love out here. And so you really do start to attract opportunities, friendships, love, partners to you more and more. 
So I don't know how I got on that tangent, but you know, I think it's it's just so interesting. And again, it's why I'm so passionate about putting this book out and sharing this because I see what's happened in my life and this beautiful love that I have with my husband and my kids. And I think, wow, like this came from this work. You know, all the things that I've wanted to create and I have been able to create come from these teachings and these tools. And I want everyone to have this as well because it's what we're here for, right? To share with each other and support each other. Absolutely. Now let's pretend you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every high school around the world. Now, besides all of your books, which I absolutely think they should all be in the curriculum, what is one other book you would choose? And it can be on any topic. Oh, so I would say that for me, it would be Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. So again, I can't emphasize enough how much his work has impacted me. And it's such an honor to bring forth his core teachings in this book. And I think about the relevance. I think about high school where you're going into the world. Steve Jobs read Autobiography of a Yogi every single year, by the way. And it was the only book on his iPad when he died. And also at his funeral, he gave... I think 500 or 700 copies to, away, each single person that came to his funeral, it was his last thought he wanted to leave the world. So in this book is, you know, you read this book and you start to awaken to this idea that there's so much more to life than what we see with our physical eyes. There's so much more and we can learn to work with this energy and we can transform our lives. So I think at that really delicate age, you know, that adolescent age, you're coming into adulthood to really have access to some of these really big picture ideas would be really wonderful for all humans. Absolutely. It's an incredible book. And we'll link to that as well as all of your amazing books in the show notes. Now, at the start of this, you shared a little bit about your morning routine. I love hearing about people's routines and how they prime themselves for their day. I know no two days are ever the same, but can you talk us through a quote-unquote typical day in your life with all of your routines and when you eat and all of the things that you do? So I anchor into the morning routine, as I mentioned. So for me, the name of my brand is Saluna, so it's sun and moon. And so I put a lot of emphasis on the morning practice, as I mentioned, because I think that the way in which we start our day makes a really big difference in our energy. And there's a Sanskrit word, dinacharya, which is in Ayurveda means our daily routine and our daily rhythm and our daily practices. So morning routine, as I mentioned, is fundamental. And I never skip my morning meditation because I know the difference between the days when I do meditate and when I don't. And then, you know, there's this flow in the morning. I, you know, I am the most hands-on mom. So for me, I do podcasts after bedtime or during nap time. My own podcasts are scheduled that way. And my work is very nonlinear. You know, it's sort of like I'm in flow. So there's times when I feel really creative and then I, I change things around and that's when I write or that's when I create videos and content. And there's other times where I flow into a different way. So then I'm going to humdrum going through the emails. But my anchor in the middle of the day. So I think it's important to not be rigid. I think it's important to have the anchors of morning routine, evening routine. My only midday anchor that is always consistent at 12.30 is that I do an hour walk. And that's my exercise now. So it's, you know, in the mountains where I live, it's just this beautiful place. I only listen to mantras. I'm in the, you know, sunshine and I clear my head. It's just like a beautiful, it's like my exercise routine is that. And again, it's when the sun is highest. And then in the evening, my come down routine, my evening routine is to uh, take a shower. That is my break between the day and the evening. I drink a hot elixir. I'm a big fan of elixirs. So tons of recipes on the site, different ones for different seasons and different you know times of the month for me, what's going on in my body. And then I journal. I'm a big journaler. And then I always do my evening meditation as well. Usually the order is I meditate. And then in that potent space afterwards, I journal, I reflect, I let go of you know anything that's happened that day. I think of the things I'm grateful for. And so it's just, a, again, this outer balance so think about the four cornerstones, right? Food, body, emotional, well-being, and spiritual growth. We touch them all. So there's the elixir for food, the body, I'm taking a shower, I do self-massage, emotional well-being is the journaling, and the spiritual growth is the meditation. So it's always this holistic way versus, and I always find, Melissa, this is interesting too, I always find with people if they're struggling in one of the cornerstones, let's say you're struggling in food or you're struggling with your body, it's not looking the way you want it to look, you're not having the energy. I can almost guarantee 
that instead of going deeper into that cornerstone, right? So many clients are like, oh, well, is it the riboflavin? Are there hidden sugars? Am I not, you know, counting enough? Or am I not counting right? Whatever it is. No, no, no. We go to the other cornerstones, right? We nurture wider, not deeper. So if you're having issues with food or your body, you can almost guarantee, and was, this was the case for me, I'm not really taking care of my mental health or my emotional processing, or I'm not taking, I'm not connecting to the true self. So my soul is hungry. So my body's always going to be imbalanced. I'm in fear. My hormones are deregulated. There's more cortisol. Um, all these things, that you, everything does work together. So this approach has been um, very powerful to me. And so like I mentioned, Melissa, all my routines, make sure to include all the cornerstones. Yeah, I love that. I practice Vedic meditation or TM or a mantra-based meditation. What type of meditation do you practice? So Yogananda teaches what's called Kriya Yoga. And this is in Raja Yoga. This is like the highest, he calls it the super highway to God, to the infinite. So it's really these techniques which accelerate, again, not just this relaxation, but these tried and true teachings for really concentrating the energy inside of you so you can better work with your energy. And so that is what, you know, I mentioned in the book, that's what, that's the through line. And then I offer something called practical enlightenment meditations myself, which are inspired by Yogananda's work. They're, you know, accessible seven minutes or so where it's taking, and it's inspired by these teachings. And it starts with some physical movement, not like an asana, but just something that we do with our hands or mudras just to help settle the body. And then there's breath work, again, very traditional, none of this like fast stuff that's, you know, just for different purposes. Very, you know, if you go into the the Vedic text, if you go into what we're saying here, breath work is meant to take you deeper into stillness. So then we're, you know, using these traditional breath work practices. And then the third part is connecting so we use the I am seed intention, and then we work with words and energies before we drop them. So that may sound esoteric, but it's really this beautiful flow. Um, and the meditations are on our website. They're also on the Saluna app. They're free every week. So if anyone wants to check them out. They sound amazing. And we'll definitely link to those in the show notes as well. Okay. I have three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. What is one thing that we can do today for our health? So one thing that we can do every day for our health is, you know, I've, I've said it all along. I think it's just important to repeat, you know, sometimes in repetition comes the building of energy. So I'll say it again. The most important thing we can do, the most important activity as humans is to do our daily morning meditation practice. It will allow you to connect to your body so that you will make better food decisions. You'll be less ruled by your food cravings. You'll be more in tune with if you're hungry, if you're not, how to best discern, how to you know move your body, how to exercise. You'll be less reactive. You'll be more in response mode. You'll be more creative. You'll just feel more fulfilled in life. So there you go. What's one thing that we can do for more wealth in our life, more abundance in all areas of our life? So Again, it's this checking in, I think, moment to moment. Where am I on the scale of abundance right now? Am I in lack? Am I focusing on all the things that aren't coming in? Or am I in this fullness? And in the book, in the abundance chapter, there is a two-minute self-generation abundance chapter to really tune in to that energy and elevate it. So if you notice that you're in lack, you want to shift because the more and more we're in this repeated vibration of abundance from the inside, it will start to match on the outside. Mm, I love that. That's so beautiful. And the last one, what's one thing we can do for more love in our life? So again, we everything that I said earlier, we activate love as an energy, as a verb. So instead of looking for it, chasing it, like it's this thing, this noun, this object that's out here, we realize that the more we we live love, more will come in. We become the source. So all the ways, and there's this is a very it's one of my favorite chapters in the book. Actually, there's quite a lot of practices and things I say about love. But right here, I'll just say to you know what I said earlier about activating love and allowing it to come up and out of you, so we become the source of love. And so then we enjoy life. You know, we enjoy sharing, but we since it's desperate, like needing it. You know, clinging and frantic trying to get it. It's just. It's something that's here and it's present in us. And so instead we share and we allow it to radiate out. Mm, I love that. 
and I love this conversation and I adore you and all of your work. Is there anything else that you want to share? Any last parting words of wisdom or anything that you wanted to talk about? Oh, well, you know, there's so much, so much that I'm excited to share, Melissa, in this book. One thing I'll say quickly, because I remember I was like, oh, I really wanted to say that. (laughs) It kind of stuck in my head. So one thing I'll say, we're talking about love here, is that one of the reasons I think that self-love is so hard for many of us, all of us, is that when we're trying to love ourselves, we again, we often ascribe that love. We're trying to love the ego part of us instead of the true self part of us. And so it's hard to love this part of us that's always changing and aging and shifting. And also, I want to say this here, behavior. So the chapter in the book, this is a deep chapter. It's called You Are Whole. And what this is, is really understanding. This is where we unpack that we are not even our behavior. We're something deeper than that. So there's a practice in this chapter called the sun moon practice where you write out your solar qualities, the parts that you love to say, you know, you you could say, oh, I'm I'm thoughtful. (laughs) I'm patient. I'm a good friend. So you make this list. And then you make a second list, your lunar qualities, so to speak. So the things that we don't really want to advertise, but we know are true. You know, I can be petty. I can be judgmental. And then you kind of look at the list, both of them. And again, there's a lot more detail in the book. I'm just saying this in summary. You let your nervous system have its reaction. So you look at that and you're like, eh, valid. You know, you may try to validate or justify. Oh, well, I only do this if someone's being like X, Y, Z, (laughs) whatever. So you let it all rise and fall. You let the energy come up and go down. And then you sit with it. And then the next part is where you start to feel the energy underneath all your so-called personality attributes and behaviors. And underneath that is this deep stability that is the true self. And so you start to understand, oh, as time goes on, yes, I'm able to connect to the true self. So of course, more of our behavior starts to be an extension of who we are. But there's this quote from Swami Sri Yukteswar, who's Yogananda's guru. And he says something like, and I'm paraphrasing here, he says something like, well, human behavior is always unstable until we are anchored to the divine. So what this means is, yes, we all mess up. We've all done shitty things. So instead of holding on to this heaviness of guilt and shame, we learn the lessons, just like metabolizing, and then we let the rest go. So we move towards self-love more when we recognize that, oh, wow, I've done all these things, but I don't need to hold on to them. You know, the true self is beyond the behaviors. So we clean up, we apologize if we need to, and then we let it go. And so, yeah, I don't know, that just popped in. Something I really wanted to share was a huge leap in my ability to love myself came when I really started to understand that we are more than our behaviors as well, because we all feel guilty or shameful about things we've done and that weighs us down. We can't really show up in the fullness of light. We can't really honor and ourselves. We can't really support other people if we are holding on to that. So that's an important, very important practice to do as well. Absolutely. And when you mentioned self-love, I know as a new mom, self-love and and speaking to lots of moms, self-love and taking that time for ourselves is something that a lot of women really struggle with. How have you modeled that for your children? And how do you be the best mom that you want to be for them? And how do you instill these teachings in them? So my son, I'm laughing because my sons know, oh, mama's going down to meditate. Like, don't go, don't run down there now. So they see me living life very present with them, but also with respect for myself. And so my sons see me meditate all the time. My older son meditates with me sometimes. Sometimes he asks me to meditate with him. So it's this modeling of who we are. It's, again, coming from this place of confidence. I am that I am. So because I am that I am, I respect this unique energy and this temple that is my body you know, in this lifetime, I'm here, I'm showing up, I'm taking care. I'm not over obsessing. I'm not putting my worth in this outer stuff, but I'm taking care and I'm doing my practices and I show up with presence and love. And so I think all these details, all the things really just want to be present. We want to love our kids. It's the most important thing. Absolutely. And I want to thank you for your time. I want to thank you for all of your work that you do in the world. You are such a light. You are so big hearted. You give and you share so much and you serve and you help so many people. And I want to thank you for that. And I want to ask you, how can I and the listeners give back and serve you today? What can we do to give back to you? 
<laughs> well, thank you so much, my love. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's been so fun having a conversation from different parts of the world. So I will say that the way you can quote, you know, serve or, or you know, it's a funny word, but let me serve you. So the greatest service that I'm offering right now is this book, You Are More Than You Think You Are. I cannot wait to share it with, you know, everyone that is meant to read this book and for it to benefit their lives. So to hear about that. So if anybody you know, reads the book, I would just love to hear. Please share with me on social or on the website or my podcast, which is the Feel Good Podcast, because, you know, we're all here. We're all here just sharing, supporting each other. And that really does mean the world to me. Mm, absolutely. Thank you. We can definitely share. And I will link to all of your goodness in the show notes. But thank you so much for being here and for giving us your time and for all the incredible work that you do in the world. You are a true living goddess. Oh, thank you so much, Melissa. So much love to you. So much gratitude. What a goddess she is. Oh my goodness, I feel so inspired to really embody my true self. I feel so inspired to let go, to surrender, to become more inquisitive when I get triggered and to stand in my power more and more. And I hope you got a lot out of today's episode. Go and check out her book. And if you did get inspired by this conversation, please come and subscribe to the show and leave me a review on Apple Podcasts because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that all of my episodes will pop up in your feed so that you don't have to go searching for a new episode. And please come and tell me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini what you got from this episode. I absolutely love connecting and hearing from you. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.